0: Let's go ahead and get started as we look. That's much better, isn't it? We just do that so you really appreciate it when things go well. I'm just kidding. That wasn't on purpose. Um, I'll start from the beginning, in case you didn't hear me earlier. We are told many, as children, we are told many exaggerations, many untruths, even lies, from that which is cultural, such as the existence of Santa and the Easter Bunny, to things that may be just in our home, preposterous threats to our children to get them to obey, to listen, that are either impossible to carry out or would land you in prison. But I believe that there is no greater lie than one that is passed to children in a short little verse that goes like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yet here we are, a room filled with adults With lives filled with hurt from things that for some of us were said decades ago. And yet we're still bothered by them. We're still hurt by them. We understand the point of the childhood rhyme. After all, words are just words. They're not fists, they're not feet, they're not bullets, they're just words. But they hurt, they impact people. Look at the tongue. Look how small it is compared to everything else. How can that really do any damage? But we know better. Words matter. Words are powerful. Words can destroy. And as we continue our study on the tongue, James will explain with several illustrations from his day, which are still fitting in our day, to show us exactly how powerful words are. Turn with me to James chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. James chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. We're going to take a larger chunk than normal this morning, but as you'll see, it's a lot of illustrations, so no need to go extremely deep. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is, a, is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. This morning, I want to give you three colossal capabilities of the Christian's tiny tongue. In other words, we will look at the incredible power and influence of words that are represented by our little tongue. Three colossal capabilities of the Christian's tiny tongue. The first capability of our little tongues is the power to direct the power to direct. We see this in verses 3 through 5. And in verses 3 and 4, James uses two everyday illustrations of his time to show how a very large object is directed by something that is comparatively very small, the bit in the horse's mouth and the rudder of a ship, a boat. The illustrations along with the next one we'll see in the next point, the spark of fire, have been found to be actually widely used in the ancient world, and so James probably wasn't the first to use them. And they are often used in ancient writings, all three of them together, as James does so here. But more specifically, the first illustration, the ability to control a horse with a bit was a common way back then of describing the ability to control something large with something small. Verse 3 again says, now if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Now this illustration is probably very obvious if you have ridden a horse or seen a horse ridden. You know that the rider that sits on the saddle on the back of the horse holds reins, and the reins he uses to tell the horse where to go, even how fast to go. Now, the reins are part of a larger apparatus, which is called the bridle. That would be all the various leather straps you would see all on the horse's head. It causes the horse to obey the directions through the reins of the rider. And the reason the horse obeys the rider is because at the end of those leather straps is a little metal piece that is placed in gaps in the horse's mouth. And this piece rests in its mouth, and it is tugged this way and that by the bridle connected to the reins, and it tells the horse where to go. That little piece of metal is called a bit. And notice that James is not talking about control so much as he is talking about direction with this illustration. And just as the bit determines where the horse goes, so the tongue directs much in our lives. Back in verse 2 last week, we saw this verse. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, mature, complete in Christ, able to bridle the whole body as well. And we saw last week what this meant was not that we would be sinless, but because the tongue is so prone to sin, it so easily sins as opposed to going out and putting on your shoes, driving somewhere, finding an address, and going and physically harming someone. Tongue just speaks, sometimes before we even realize what's happening. And so if you have the ability to control your tongue, then surely you have the strength and the maturity to control everything else, and as a believer, you would have already done so. And so the direction of our lives, like the bit in the horse's mouth, is controlled by our tongue. There's another illustration. In James's day, the main mode of transportation on land was the horse. Over water, it was the ship, which is James's second illustration of the power of something small to direct something large. Look at verse four. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So here we have a ship in the middle of the sea, seemingly at the mercy of the winds and waves, but there's a pilot on the ship, and he has control of the boat because of the rudder. Wherever the pilot wants the ship to go, he steers the boat by controlling the rudder, that small underwater blade that causes the vessel to turn, small like the tongue, but powerful. And without it, the ship would be controlled by forces outside of the ship. Instead, however, it is at the inclination or the will of the pilot, even in the midst of strong winds, literally severe, violent, hard, cruel winds. The emphasis being on the challenges to the pilot's control because of this combination of mass and force, and yet this little rudder controls the massive ship. Wherever it goes, and all the cargo, all the people on that ship. We start seeing and understanding the control, the direction of our lives that our tongues hold. You know this. You have been the object of this. You have treated people differently because of their words. Nasty people are treated like nasty people. Kind people are treated like kind people. Different things from their job to their relationships are all impacted by the direction that their words hold. Although the ships of his day were quite large, for example, we're told in Acts 27 that the ship that Paul was on had 276 people on it. I am confident that James, nor anyone else at that time, save for Jesus Christ and his sovereignty, could even fathom the size of our modern-day ships. Yet they, too, are controlled by rudders that are a fraction of the size of the ship itself. And both of these illustrations are culminated in James's point in the first half of verse 5, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Compared to the rest of the human body, the tongue is a small part. And the boast that it can make is justified. It wields a lot of power. For its size, it can make a legitimate claim to considerable power. Last Sunday, I ended by directing you to a verse that second only to James 3 is the most helpful passage on the tongue, Ephesians 4.29 the next place where we find in Scripture very helpful guidance and warning about speech is the book of Proverbs. There are many different angles, many different lessons that Proverbs provides, and among them are Proverbs that, like James 3.3, 3, tells us that the tongue controls the entirety of an individual. Let me read a couple for you. Proverbs 18.7. A fool's mouth is his ruin. That seems pretty complete and holistic. And his lips are the snare of his soul. That's 18.7. Proverbs 21.23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. The words, the tongue, the speech indicate the power of protection over one's entire body and soul. And again, with both of his illustrations, James is emphasizing that something small, like the tongue, can control something big, like your body and even your soul. Today, the most common horse bit is five inches, it weighs two pounds. The horse it controls is on average five feet tall, eight feet long, and 2,000 pounds controlled by something as big as the pen some of you are holding right now. The largest man-made ship was the Sea Wise Giant, 1,500 feet long, which means if it was placed vertically, it would be 500 feet or 30% taller than the Salesforce Tower in San Francisco, the tallest building in San Francisco. It was so big that the turning radius of the ship, in other words, if it wanted to turn completely around, the smallest circle it could make was two miles wide. In still waters at its full speed of 16 and a half knots, which is about 20 miles per hour, if it was to cut the engines, essentially putting on the brakes, in still waters, to come to a complete stop, it would take it five and a half miles It weighed 657,000 tons. That's almost 1.5 billion pounds. Its rudder, just a half a million pounds. Still very heavy, but in other words, the rudder controlled a ship that was 3,000 times its size. The average American man, is just over five feet, nine inches, 69 inches to be exact. His tongue, three inches. And yet, James says, it controls and directs the entirety of who you are. And that goes beyond just your physical body. That talks about your relationship with God, your relationship with God's people, your relationship with unbelievers, Your work, your reputation. It has the power to direct. And so that's the first colossal capability of the tongue the power to direct. And it's not that he's saying the tongue is the one doing the controlling, but that the writer or the pilot or the Christian is not in control when it allows, he allows his words to speak sinful things, heretical things, hurtful things. My friends, do not underestimate the power of your words. Now, we're clearly talking about things that you say, but this could peripherally include that which you don't say when you know there's an opportune time to say something. When you know someone is expecting, words of comfort, Scripture, I'm sorry, thank you. Words are powerful. Do not underestimate the power of your words. As it pertains to the things you do say, there is great potential there. The potential for good, but also, which is James' point, the potential for harm. The potential for damage. Yes, emotional damage is very significant. But we understand, again, in the context, the launching point for him was speaking of teachers. And so we understand the dangers of heresy, liberal teaching, weak teaching, watering down, whatever you want to call it. Things that are not 100% in line with the Scriptures. And the calling for us and the danger for us, the warning for us is not just, oh, I made a mistake, I didn't realize that that's what that passage meant, though we do need to go back and correct that, but what he is specifically condemning is those who know better. When you know it is the truth, when you know that that individual without Christ Is going to be condemned eternally, and yet, out of fear of man, you water it down and make him feel like it's okay. That is, religion's the same. This is the kind of thing that James is talking about. But it also applies to what we would say with scripture and how we are to apply it and embrace it in our hearts so that our speech is loving and edifying, and encouraging, and does not tear down. This is based on the truth. This is based on reality, not subjective feelings. Now we understand that. We understand if people are extra sensitive, we still tell them the truth, but maybe in a more gracious way than your other friend who has thick skin that you can not mince words and be more blunt. But the reality is we need to be careful with our words. And one of the greatest warnings is in our second point, our second colossal capability of the tongue, the potential to desecrate, the potential to desecrate. Look at the end of uh, verse 5 through verse 6. It says, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. It just gets worse and worse. And if you thought, well, the tongue can't be that bad, surely when he says it's set on fire by hell, there's nowhere to go. This third illustration that James uses brings up pictures that we see far too often here in California of the devastation that our wildfires can cause. Acres upon acres of vegetation destroyed that bleeds into the destruction of homes and even human life. It seems over the past few years, waking up with the sky completely orange from the smoke is almost an expected annual occurrence now. And we know that these blazes are always caused by something comparatively small. There is no fire that just starts instantly with a fire that's already two acres big. It's something small. Compared to the size of the fire, it's just a small branch that touched the power line. One lightning strike, one match, all resulting in a small fire that grows into something uncontrollable. A powerful Illustration and connection to the tongue and speech is clear here and convicting. In ancient times, in James's time, forest fires were common as well, especially in the Palestinian dry season. Brush fires could spread very quickly, which is why this was a common illustration along with the horse and the ship. And like today, it was a fitting way to talk about disastrous consequences, especially by something or from something that is very small. In fact, today we use that phrase, spread like wildfire, to talk about something bad that causes much damage and spreads quickly. His cancer spread like wildfire. The gossip spread like wildfire. And of course, the power of hurtful and destructive speech falls right in line here. But notice that it's not particularly destruction that James is illustrating here, although that's the first thing that comes to mind when we think of fire. But what he is bringing up as we keep reading in verse 6 is defilement or desecration. Look again at verse 6. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Let's break this down. James begins by describing the tongue as, quote, the very world of iniquity, the very world of sin. And this is because the words of a man show what is inside of the heart of a man. And we see this idea explained by Jesus Christ himself. If you could quickly turn to Matthew 15, 18 through 20, you might be familiar with this passage. The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. Verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. And you'll remember that the context are the legalistic Pharisees saying, hey, you need to wash your hands because if you don't wash your hands in this ceremonial way, which was very labor intensive for the Jews, especially considering there was no running water before you could eat, they say you're defiled because you have eaten with unclean hands, which makes the food unclean. And Jesus says, that doesn't defile you. He says, whatever you eat goes into the stomach and is eliminated. What defiles the man is what comes out of the mouth, not into it, because what comes out of the mouth reflects what is in the heart. Look at this list. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the epitome of that which is unholy. And this is why James can then say that the tongue is the very world of iniquity or unrighteousness. He goes on to explain this. He says, The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. The word defile means to stain, and it can refer to a stain that is permanent and carried on through death. I don't want to take this too far into the experience of man, but some of you understand this. There are ramifications of some of your words. There are ramifications of words spoken to you that you know. You've forgiven them. You've moved past it. But you are going to carry those until the day you die. These are hard realities of life. We remember these things. Just in the span of the last two weeks, I have spoken to two solid, thriving, righteous Christian men who struggle still as adults on their own with their own jobs. Own lives because of the stuff my dad used to say to me growing up. They're affected by that. It affects how they view other people. It affects their, their motivation to serve, their willingness to serve. It affects their relationships. They're scared of dating. They're worried their marriages will fall apart. We get this. It impacts us. It stains us. These words, having defiled the whole person, in turn sets on fire the course of life. Your very existence is desecrated and destroyed by your words, not to mention the people that you speak to. And if you fall into that category, where you are still affected by words that were said to you days, weeks, months, decades ago, which I think is fair to assume is all of us, You need to take that and understand how your words may in turn affect your children, your spouse, your friends, this church. Think about it. The people you know, how you treat them, how you view them, how you interact with them, they're gauged by their personalities. Are they a hard worker? Are they even people you barely know? I, I don't know that worker, but man, he works hard. I get here early. He's always here already. I leave late. He's still here. It's their personality. It's what they do. How they make you feel. How they impact you. How they m- impact people around you. And how do you know what they're like? How are you made to feel good or bad? How, do people, how, how are some people attracted to them? Or want to avoid them. The same way we know anything about God. Through His words. If someone's a nasty person with their words, there's no way you're going to say, that's a really nice guy. I want to hang out with them. you just got to look past the words. What else is there? You can't get past the words. You don't want to be around them. And think of your closest friends, the Christians you want to hang out with. What do you say? Why do you hang out with them so much? They're so what? Encouraging. They're so encouraging. And so now we see how the words can either destroy or defile. They can direct the course of your life. The words come out because they reflect how they truly feel, what they truly are. What they love will come out in conversation. What they hate will come out in conversation. Whether they are humble or arrogant will be reflected in their speech. Whether they are more concerned about you, or more concerned about themselves is very clearly indicated by just a few sentences, whether they predominantly use the word me or the word you. and When the mouth is full of boasting and gossip and lying and slander and discouragement or even useless, thoughtless chatter, which is condemned in Scripture, then it is more likely than not that the person is allowing his words to defile his whole being, and the course of his life is set on fire. Don't believe me? Let's look at Proverbs again. Proverbs 10 18. He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. There's gossip and slander. Proverbs 12 19. Truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. There's lying. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. There's thoughtless chatter. These Proverbs that speak of destruction and foolishness show that such speech is not godly, it is unholy. And if they are the theme of your life, if they are the theme of your speech, they reflect a heart and a tongue that have been set not only on fire but by the fires of hell. God's words, not mine. The word James uses here is the word Gehenna, translated the word hell. It speaks of a physical place that was just outside of Jerusalem, the valley of Henna, Gehenna. In both the Old Testament and intertestamental times, so that's the history of man between the end of the Old Testament before the New Testament began, intertestamental intertestamental times. During those times, the area of Gehenna gained a reputation for being evil. In the Old Testament, we know that pagan sacrifices were carried out there. In Jesus' day, it was a place outside of the big city where they would throw their trash, their dead animals, and even the bodies of executed criminals they would dump there. And there was always this nasty-smelling smoke coming from there as the fire used to get rid of all the refuse was continually burning, which helps you understand why Jesus himself used it, pointing at it, Gehenna, as a physical representation of hell and ultimate condemnation. When James says the tongue is set on fire by Gehenna, by hell, He is saying that the tongue can be used in a way that represents sinful corruption and destruction. In essence, a tool of the wicked, a tool of the devil, speech that is more like the devil than like God. When we connect it to everything that James is saying here, we understand that it doesn't take much for the hellish influence to create a forest fire that consumes your whole life and causes hurt and destruction for others. This is why I call it the potential to desecrate. For the Christian, our lives and the course of our lives have been set on the narrow, holy, godly road. But our words can take what is holy and make it unholy, Worldly, godless, which is what desecrate means, to take something that is holy and make it unholy. Just a few words. Back in 2018, a rancher found a wasp nest in his backyard. If you're familiar, there's a type of wasp. Their nest is actually underground. You can see a hole in the ground. The wasps are flying out of it. He wanted to destroy that nest Obviously, he took a metal stake, plugged it in the hole, grabbed a hammer, hammered that stake, and when that metal hammer hit the metal stake, a spark flew out. Started a small fire that grew into what was at the time the largest fire in California history, still ranks among the top 10 today. This fire was the largest fire of a group of fires, if you you probably remember, that made up what they called the Mendocino Complex Fire. Complex because there's many fires. This particular fire, the Ranch Fire, destroyed over 410,000 acres and burned officially for five months. You ever hit a piece of iron on a piece of iron and a huge flame flows out? No. Tiny spark. He might not have even noticed it until he saw that little fire that turned into devastation. Just one little spark create a whole world of devastation and pain. All it takes is one wrong word, one outburst of anger, one misapplication of Scripture to do the same. And we're now very familiar. We as Christians say, praise God. We pat firefighters on the back because they worked so hard night and day they finally put out that fire after months and months rainy season's over next year comes same acreage acreage no fire now they have mudslides people still living in hotels you think the fire's over oh that's devastating but it's over it's done it's not over it's not done Words carry influence and power long after they are spoken. And so we understand why James calls it the very world of iniquity, defiling the body set on fire by hell. My friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, what world is represented by your words The world of unrighteousness or the world of holiness? Because as we have seen, words are the hardest to control. They are the first glimpse into what is truly in someone's heart. They set the course of a person's life, holiness, or desecration. That's only two. There's a third colossal capability of the Christian's tiny tongue. We've seen the power to direct, the potential to desecrate, And finally, the propensity to destroy. The propensity to destroy. Look at verses 7 and 8. For every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. The human race, as you know, has controlled all other species of creatures in fact, even in James's day, the Greek-speaking world was very proud of their ability to tame animals. In my short life, I have seen lions and tigers dance and pose at the whip of the ringmaster in a circus. When I was younger, remember Marine World? Those of you who grew up in this area, I rode an elephant. I have been entertained by killer whales who jump on command. I have watched my young children pet a python and an alligator without an ounce of of fear at the county fair. Just two weeks ago, every member of my family held on to the fins of a dolphin as it swam us to shore. These are not domesticated animals. You don't keep these as pets. They are wild beasts bowing at the command of someone who would otherwise be considered lunch. But no one no one can control their own tongue. To control it in such a way that it never misspeaks, never puts down, never misrepresents the Lord or His Word or a claim to holiness and Christ-likeness. And as we are all very aware of by now, we are not just talking about some sort of grammatical slip or neutral chatter. James says the tongue, quote, is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Restless is the same Greek word we saw in 18, where it is translated unstable. Remember speaking of someone who asks of God with doubt and is unstable in his ways. But the meaning of this word in this context in James 3 goes beyond that. It is like the wild animal fighting against its restraints. They don't just take a wild horse like if you could just get the bit in his, house, it'll be under, in his mouth, it'll be under control. No, there's a lot of pain for the trainers and the horse. They fight against it. They buck their riders off. They stomp on their trainers. That's like our tongue, restless, fighting, fighting against your attempts to control it, much like the raging fire. And The tongue is not just restless in its speech, but restless in its evil, as James says here. And what's more, he says, it's full of deadly poison. As exaggerated as that seems, words are actually more destructive than anything that causes physical death. It's more destructive than actual poison or venom, which can kill the physical body. But words can and have destroyed people morally, emotionally, socially, financially, relationally, and yes, even spiritually. Proverbs again, Proverbs 12, 18, there's one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, 4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. And here's the thing. You say, "I, I... By God's grace, I think I do well with my words. But you know full well, combined with your heart and your brain, it still is full of deadly poison and has the potential to destroy, to set on fire, to say, maybe not the theme of my life, but this guy deserves it, set on fire by hell. We need to be careful The potential is there. We need to tame the tongue. We need to control the tongue. And praise God, we can start here by God, very God, through James, telling us, wow, how powerful this is. And we know, too, from pretty much everywhere else in the New Testament, And even the Proverbs, the first half or the second half of the Proverbs we've looked at, among dozens of others, that there's also potential for much good, much holiness, much building up. And you want to hear another piece of good news? Because I know, when I preach like this, you're like, give me something, come on, give me some good news. Here it is. No one can tame the tongue, but the Holy Spirit can. But we also know every day in our lives, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can ignore the Holy Spirit. We could succumb and submit to our own sinful, selfish desires rather than the Holy Spirit. So understand the potential here. Because sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is simply not true. What we need to keep in mind, along with the scriptures, is the idea of this witty twist on this little children's rhyme. Broken bones will heal and mend, but words will hurt until the end. Three colossal capabilities of the Christian's tiny tongue. The power to direct, the potential to desecrate, the propensity to destroy. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue, it is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as those who have hurt with our words, as those who have been hurt by words, but praise God as those who have been redeemed by your words. And Father, may our lives, our speech, reflect that which is holy. May we not take what is been made righteous through the power of your Son and the Holy Spirit and desecrate it with unholy, hurtful, unbiblical words. It's right there, Lord, caged behind these teeth and yet we slip all the time. Father, may we go beyond correcting our words and look to our hearts to see and gauge what lies within Why are we angry? Why are we judging? Why are we putting down? Why are we gossiping, lying, watering down the truth? May you fix our hearts, Lord. May we strive. May you give us guidance and power as we strive to be more and more holy every day. Not just because we want to be looked upon as good and encouraging, but because we want to honor you. We want to honor you with our hearts and our lips. Help us. Use us to this end, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.